Welcome to PD Insider, the podcast edition. In each episode, we bring you conversations with experts in the law firm professional development community so that you can stay current on industry trends, topics, and innovations. In this episode, PLI's Craig Miller speaks with Sammy Elzarka of Michelman & Robinson. Sammy shares his expertise in data-driven professional development, focusing on instructional design and learning systems with measurable outcomes and meaningful results for your firm. Welcome, Sammy. We're happy to have you with us today. I'm delighted to be with you, Craig. Please tell me more about your background and how you came to be employed at a law firm. Sure. I have a, a background in teaching, actually. I taught all levels of, uh, of K-12, uh, both in uh, public and in private settings. Then I moved into higher education, where I spent 10 years uh, teaching, as well as working in administration. Uh, I'd also spent some, uh, some time in administration at the K-12 level. And by administration, I mean working in curriculum design, uh, working on instructional strategies, assessment design and development, um, faculty development in the higher ed setting. And while in higher ed, uh, I did spend quite a bit of time at uh, the school of law that we had at that institution, uh, helping them uh, develop their assessment programming and helping them to, to tailor their instructional programs to the needs of the students, especially when it came to bar readiness. Uh, the firm uh, where I'm uh, currently employed uh, had an opportunity. They wanted uh, to develop a, a new role uh, called Chief Advancement Officer where uh, they had a dedicated person uh, for professional development. They were really interested in bringing in somebody who had expertise in uh, education design uh, and, and assessment development and, and that sort of thing. Uh, rather than, or perhaps in addition to, someone with a legal background. And so I uh, came across this opportunity and uh, uh, pursued it, and, and I've been here for a little over a year. I love that title, Chief Advancement Officer. Could you describe your goals in that role and a little bit more about what it is you actually do at the firm? Absolutely. I oversee all of the professional development programming for each segment of the firm. So that includes all levels of attorneys, associates and partners, uh, as well as uh, all of the support staff, uh, the legal assistants, the paralegals, uh, as well as the other support staff departments. Uh, the ultimate mission of my office is to implement an array of development and advancement initiatives uh, to enhance attorney practice and to enhance staff internal customer service. Uh, what makes my role um, easy and pleasant in this environment is the firm, this particular firm is thoroughly committed to professional development. Uh, they have a five-year strategic plan. Uh, we're in year two of that plan. And of the five pillars in that plan, professional development uh, is, is one of them. So it's highly regarded. It's highly visible. Uh, I am. It also helps that I am a, a given my title. I'm a member of the C-suite, and I report directly to the firm managing partner. Uh, so I have access to uh, the highest level of of management here. Uh, so it gives me a lot of visibility and and access uh, to folks across uh, the entire firm, especially given how spread out we are. Uh, so that's a great help. I'm sure that uh, senior level support makes a great difference in terms of the effectiveness of the role. 
It sure does. It absolutely does. What skills have you found most useful since moving into this environment? And what are some of the ways you applied the skills in designing training for the attorneys? There are several approaches that I've taken uh, to this area, and that is to build educational programming using a modality, a variety of modalities. So, for example, uh, we've built uh, a set of online resources uh, for for all of our constituents. We also offer face-to-face instructional uh, experiences. We offer uh, mentoring support. Uh, so, these different modalities really help folks uh, access uh, the, the different ways of uh, learning content and applying content. The, all of the instructional activities that we offer employ what, what we call competency-based uh, models or, or strategies, which really focus on the application of knowledge, not merely the acquisition or recall of knowledge. Um, and, and this competency-based model is based on activities that that are completed through projects, simulations, role-playing, um, and other activities that, that give uh, participants the experience of applying the, the information and the knowledge that is being conveyed. You mentioned your background is in education and that it's not legal. Um, what are some of the strategies you employed to overcome any of the challenges that that might pose? And this was uh, it's a great question. This was one of those uh, those issues coming into uh, this law, law firm environment for the first time a little over a year ago. So it's one of the concerns I had uh, was how am I going to garner uh, attention and respect from the constituents uh, when I don't I'm not trained in their area. And w- what I've done <clears throat> in the time I've been here is I found ways to partner with subject matter experts, and that would be uh, primarily the attorneys. Um, what I bring to the table is the knowledge and the experience in designing the curriculum, designing the assessments, uh, creating these experiential um, events and activities that uh, really engage learners um, and set learners up for application. That's ultimately our goal, is to have them be practice ready. Um, and so one of the, the demands, one of the challenges with working with attorneys is the demand on their time. Um, and and obvi- obviously in private practice, that's, that's a huge issue uh, because so much emphasis is placed on uh, build hours and billable hours. Uh, any amount of time they spend with me is time away from this highly important metric. So one of the the strategies that I've used in working with such attorneys is to sell them on the importance of developing a strong and robust educational program in order for them to be able to work at higher levels, take on matters of, of more you know, greater complexity, and, and be able to to delegate and, and to develop a team that can support complex cases and, and matters. Uh, and so it, there's, it's really a persuasive challenge on my part to get them to think beyond uh, their particular workload uh, and to think uh, more generally about the health of the firm and the, and the, vi- the long-term viability of the firm in terms of attracting uh, an array of, of clients and matters uh, that can be handled uh, at, at any level. So that that's always a challenge in that you're competing against, 
you know, whatever the number might be, uh, you know, 2,000 billable hours a year or whatever the, uh, the attorneys are striving for. And that's especially true when you might have, let's say, if you're working in a given topic and, and you, you might have merely one or two attorneys that have expertise in that one topic. Uh, so that person stretched, you know, that those one or two people are stretched very thin in terms of being able to devote uh, additional time to educational programming. And so that... Uh, there is, we we do run into that uh, on a rare occasion in in our environment, and and so we have to be very very strategic in terms of how you work around those time demands. Can you talk a little bit more about the active learning and competency based models that you've mentioned? Sure. So competency based uh, instruction is one that moves away from uh, a focus on time and. It, it places a focus on ability or outcome. Active learning is where participants are uh, engaged with the content in ways that go beyond just being passive uh, listeners. There's assigning folks uh, different roles um, that they act out uh, as part of a topic or a question, um, presenting them with scenarios and what would you do, kind of ethical types of questions or, or maybe a business challenge or, you know, what, what have you. Uh, so that folks are having, the participants are having to think deeply about the content as opposed to mindlessly uh, jotting down notes that they regurgitate without internalizing uh, that information. Um, and so what what the education innovators are doing is uh, they're, they're trying to realign that focus back on what students can learn and can do. So with, uh, so I'll give you a, 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 just a key example of how this may play out in, in a law firm environment. So let's say you wanted to teach uh, on mediation, how, how to conduct an effective mediation. Well, there are multiple approaches to negotiating uh, or mediating a settlement, right? So there, there's something called uh, the marketplace approach, right? There's also one called using the brackets approach or the best and final or the baseball approach, right? Each one of these has a definition and a goal and a strategy, You can merely in a session describe what those strategies are uh, spend maybe 10 minutes going through perhaps the 20 different approaches um, and provide definitions. And then at the end, you can ask if there are any questions. And most likely, you'll get very few questions. That is a teaching-based model. That is a, a, that's a time-based model. When someone sits in, lit, here's a, a lecture for a, a period of time, and then we check off that they have now been exposed to uh, this type of instruction on this topic. What competency-based uh, instruction would do instead would be to take one of these approaches, like for example, there's one here called split the baby. This is where the mediator suggests the demand and an offer to be equally divided. So competency-based the strategies would uh, break up the audience into groups and assign one group to one side of the mediation, assign another group to the other side, and perhaps the presenter could re- represent the, the mediator or the arbitrator in, in that uh, setup. Um, and they go through, and they're given a set of facts, and they actually 
uh, exercise uh, the split the baby approach to mediation. And, and then they derive a certain outcome. And then they have a whole discussion about, about that outcome. Who was successful? Who was not? Who could have gotten more? Uh, who, who made out like a bandit? Um, and so if you have these actual experiences, this is very tangible. And it sets up the participant, once they walk away from that session, to apply uh, those lessons learned through that direct experience much more effectively. Yeah, that seems clear that actually having that experience in advance really sort of sets people up for success when they encounter that type of situation in, in, in their practice. Right. You know, they say you can't manage what you can't measure, <laughs> which is a statement that uh, is a truism, but is, is often uh, debated as well. Can you talk a little bit about what outcomes uh, and assessment are and what roles they play in your program design? Absolutely. So everything we do here is outcomes driven. And this also comes from an innovation in, in, from the world of education. Um, and it plays right into what you just said. If you can't measure it, it, it's really hard to know whether or not you were successful, whether you appropriately served the learner um, and, and, uh, and such. So uh, what outcomes-based education is, is coming up with a set of goals or objectives that meet uh, specific criteria. And there's an acronym that we call, uh, it's, it spells SMART. So a SMART goal or a SMART outcome is one that is specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and is time-bound. If you have a goal that meets these criteria, you have uh, an, uh, an effective goal or outcome. When you then apply a, a program, uh, an instructional uh, delivery program to achieve with the goal of achieving this outcome, you can measure whether or not you were successful. And, and so the, when you come up with a set of outcomes, that drives everything you do from uh, the design of the educational programming uh, to the type of instructional content you use, to the materials uh, that you employ, the delivery method, um, and then, of course, how you're going to assess and then how that information is going to be applied. Uh, so you really, it's, it's, a, it's what we call a backwards design. You start with the outcome and then you back into everything else because that drives uh, the rest of the programming. As far as assessments, assessments are key. Uh, and this is uh, a, an area that uh, I happen to have a strong background in. Um, but this is an area where <clears throat> you develop instruments or tools uh, to verify whether or not someone has learned the intended co uh, uh, content. So this could take the form of a, a variety of things. So if you're teaching someone how to draft motions of various types, have them actually draft a motion and check to see if they have applied the principles that you intend for them to apply. Um, if, if you want them to be effective oral presenters or, or, uh, or an oral, you know, effectively present an oral argument, have them present an oral argument, record them, and analyze it. How, how concise were they? How direct were they? How persuasive did, it, did the arguments come off? Um, and so, so 
assessment instruments can take a variety of formats uh, just depending on what the goal is. And that's where I say the goal, the outcome really drives um, every part of the education uh, programming. One last point about assessments, um, especially in, in the kind of environment that I work in, uh, it's a medium-sized law firm, but it does have five offices uh, spanning uh, large distances. When you have assessments, it's best to have a standardized approach to what those assessments look like or how they're being assessed or evaluated. And so oftentimes we, we refer to rubrics, and a rubric is nothing more than just a, a set of expectations that is agreed upon by a group of evaluators so that your attorney in New York, your, 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 let's say your supervising attorney in New York and your supervising attorney in, in San Francisco uh, agree that a good um, um, motion to transfer venue ought to have these following criteria. And this is what these criteria ought to look like. So a rubric can really help in standardizing that so that when these two offices say that somebody is ready to draft a motion to transfer a venue, uh, they're talking about someone operating at the same level of competency. Are the trainees aware of the criteria or the rubric in advance? Absolutely. And that's that's key. It's a great question. Uh, I think the, the more they are aware of the outcomes... Uh, the intended uh, instructional strategies and, and modalities that are going to be used, um, and then the assessment instrument itself, the better. Because that way the, the, the learner or the, the participant can have a very firm sense of why it is they're being subjected to the, the various activities that they're being subjected to. Um, and, and you tend to get far more engagement when uh, the, the system that you're using is seen as uh, one that's transparent and one that is fair and one that has, has a track record, has been proven to be successful with previous participants. Based upon all of your experience and your long history in education, I mean, what tips would you give to your fellow members of the PD community who want to incorporate these methods into their own training at their firms? Uh, there's so much to say here. Um, I will uh, address each of the three phases of education programming. Uh, I'll give a tip for the before, for the during, and for the after. So before you design a program, just like real estate um, has location, 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 I think in our world, I would say before you start a program, listen, listen, listen. Uh, and this means that you ought to uh, listen to every constituent in the firm, talk to people, interview them, uh, talk to the clerk, the file clerk, uh, talk to the legal assistants, talk to the firm managing partner and everybody in between um, just to get a sense of what the needs are. Um, every one of these segments or every each one of these uh, firm populations um, they may have, they each may have blind spots, but they'll also have advantageous um, viewpoints and perspectives that I think will, will add a lot of value to, to your programming and to your design. Once you have a firm sense of uh, what the needs are, uh, your programming ought to be focused on engaging participants. And so earlier I made reference to, I may have made reference to active learning. Uh, so we really want to move away from the lecture-based talking head approach to instructional programming. Uh, this is how 
very traditional uh, instruction is done, not just in law, but but in many other disciplines. Uh, but we're starting to move away from that. And there's this concept of flipping uh, the instruction. So rather than uh, ha- sit for an hour and have somebody talk at you and you're furiously taking notes and you hope to remember and then to somehow apply this information on your own, uh, flipping means to, ha- to expose the participant to the content before the session. Uh, so whether that's a recorded version of the lecture or, or some other kind of video or an article they read, and you come into the session and you're ready to apply it. And this is where you, you do the role-playing and the simulations. Um, and so these are ways to engage the participant during a program uh, in a way that makes it uh, very real for them. Uh, this, this isn't intended to be – your programming should not be seen as law school 2.0. Um, there are, they've already went to law school. They've already taken the bar. Uh, they don't need to prove themselves as students. They're now practitioners. So our programming needs to cater to their practitioner needs. The third piece of advice that I would give in terms of after the programming is to come up with ways to evaluate your program. And this is important because in any continuous improvement model, you're always trying to improve the, the presenter, the participants uh, that are involved, but you're also trying to improve the program itself. And this isn't always easy to do because you you have to ferret out, uh, does the effectiveness of a program, is it attributable to a great presenter, the content, the the participants who are especially engaged? Um, and, And so there are ways for you to isolate each of these components and know uh, to what extent you can attribute success of a program to uh, the, the different components. So, um, so having an eye for that evaluate, program evaluation is, is also very key. That's very helpful. So if I could sort of summarize, then we're talking about really needs assessment, focusing on engagement, and then uh, flipping the instruction so that the trainees can sort of just do it and apply what's been learned through role-playing and simulation. Exactly right. And then, of course, the evaluation phase. Exactly right. Anything else you would like to add about that? This is a very new environment for me, and I've uh, I've had a uh, a tremendous amount of uh, success and learning. Certainly, uh, at my stage in my career, applying uh, strategies that I've used and that have been proven in a different environment, and then coming into into a law firm, um, I, I would just advise. Uh, that anyone else coming into this kind of a role in professional development to exercise patience and know that you're not going to be the superstar every day you come to work. Uh, this is there's a lot of grinding that that is involved, um, but the payout is tremendous. It's it's fulfilling work. I've dedicated my whole career to it uh, because of that, and so I would just advise that that folks um, ha- take a long view to professional development. It takes time, takes effort, takes lots of readjustments and uh, and, and, and adaptations. Um, but in the end, it, so long as you're responsive, it'll be very fulfilling. I think that's great advice for all of us. And with that, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Samuel Zarka, the Chief Advancement Officer at Michael Minn Robinson. We look forward to you joining us for another edition of PLI's PD Insider. 
This is Craig Miller of the Practicing Law Institute. Thank you.